Tonight we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and finish the book of Philippians. If you would start reading ahead, next week we're going to start the book of 1 Peter. So we're going to be in 1 Peter next week. We'll take a few weeks to look at 1 and 2 Peter. Also, uh, with these online services, it gives us an opportunity uh, to invite people that we normally wouldn't. So if you would take a, a chance to share this live stream right now on your social media, you don't know who God's going to reach uh, through that and invite your friends to study God's uh, word with us. Let's enjoy the Lord tonight. Let's enjoy his word. We have a rich passage with great promises for us and great challenge. So I encourage you to stop whatever you're doing and give your attention to the Lord. Be still before him, enjoy him, enjoy his love, and allow him to speak to you this evening. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are with us, that you never leave us or forsake us, that you restore us. We think of Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, where he prayed that the church of Ephesus would be strengthened in their inner man, their inner person. And we ask right now that you would would strengthen the inner part of us, our soul, our spirit, where we're discouraged, where we've lost hope, would you strengthen us? Also, would you be at home in us? Jesus, would you abide in us, make yourself at home in our hearts, in our lives? May we be strengthened with the power of your might. Through your spirit, would you strengthen us this evening? Where we're weak, where we don't have answers, where we're confused, where there's financial difficulty, God, would you strengthen us? Strengthen us in relationships. Strengthen us as worshipers. And may you allow us to know the height and the depth and the width of your love, your love that passes knowledge. May there be an explosion of your love in our lives. May we be reminded of your grace and your faithfulness in our lives. God, would you set aside distractions in this live stream and allow us to be able to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment to be reminded of the book of Philippians as this is our last study. Is Paul is very systematic in his writing. Chapter 1 focuses on Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's easy to get distracted right now, even to get frustrated. We need to put our focus upon Christ. To really pause and think about those words. For me to live is Jesus. Life is Jesus. It's his love for us. It's being in relationship with him as him being divine and us being the branches. There isn't life outside of Jesus. Life is not going to be found in better circumstances. Paul, as he's in prison, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. He's at a point of suffering and he's saying, I still have my life. There's no trial, there's no difficulty that can take away your relationship with Christ. The love of Christ, what he has done in our lives. Chapter 2 challenges us to be others-focused, to esteem others better than ourselves. The example is Christ, to have the mind of Christ. Christ came to serve and not be served. To lay down his life as a ransom for many. He humbled himself. God coming in human flesh taking on the form of a servant, being obedient 
to the cross, the death of the cross, taking our shame, taking our sin, our shortcomings upon himself so that we could be the children of God. We walk in his footsteps when we choose to be others-centered. Then chapters three and four is where we fit in, our perspective of ourselves, to have a, a biblical perspective of ourselves. Notice we come last. Jesus comes first, then others, then ourselves. Chapter three, such a challenge where Paul says, I'm willing to count all things lost in my life so that I can gain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Even saying that these things that were once valuable to him are just rubbish. They're garbage compared to what he's gaining, and that is the knowledge of Christ. Is that how we view our lives? Have we surrendered our lives? Have we given over control of our lives to the Lord, willing to suffer loss, knowing that we're going to gain something far more valuable? In chapter 4, last week, if you remember, we saw the encouragement to be in unity with one another. These two women that were fighting, Eodia and Syntyche, Paul says, be of the same mind. That encourages us to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord always, take joy in him, worship him. Then to be in a place where we stop worrying, start praying, and being thankful, then God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds. Is that where we've been living? If you've noticed, the acronym is Jesus, others, you. For me to live as Christ, Jesus, others-centered, Oh, and then you, whatever was valuable in my life, I'm willing to lose it for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I hope that as we've been studying this over the last few weeks, that it's been timely for you. I know it's been timely for me and challenges that I have been going through, that you've been finding more joy in the Lord, that your mindset has been one of focused upon the Lord and you're choosing joy. Tonight, as we finish the book, we're going to be challenged in contentment, that there's joy in contentment, that contentment is something that can be learned. We're not born content, we're born sinners, but we can choose to learn contentment. Before we get into verse 10, I want to backtrack to verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure— Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. First point this evening on contentment is contentment is directly tied to your thought life, to your thought life. A few months back, I did some research on the Oregon Trail. And in Wyoming, there are some deep, deep rivets, ruts in this canyon where the tr wagons would cross this section of Wyoming. And we oftentimes think of ruts as being bad, and they are if it's a negative pattern in our life, a sinful pattern in our life. But there can be some very godly disciplines, some very godly ruts in our lives that lead to joy and peace and contentment. And in our thought life, we can be in the rut of making sure that our thoughts are lining up to whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever's just. Our hearts, our inner man, 
Our character is going to follow our thoughts. That's why it's often said that the battle is won and lost in our thoughts. As we were challenged on this last week, how is this going for you? Or are you focused in your mind on grumbling and complaining? Are we focused in our mind all of the things that we're frustrated about in the midst of this COVID virus? The people that are around you, are are you focused on all of their shortcomings and all of, of their sin? And that's the pattern that's going through in our hearts and our minds. Or do we have this kind of meditation where we're saying, I'm gonna choose to focus on what's praiseworthy. I'm gonna choose to focus on what's pure. I got to tell you, this is difficult. This is difficult every day to choose this. But if if we want to enjoy contentment, if we want to learn contentment in our lives, we have to realize that there's a battle that has to be waged in our mind. Paul, throughout this epistle, throughout this letter, he focuses on the mind. You'll notice that he mentions it over and over again. And if we choose to allow our thoughts to line up with the word of God, to meditate upon who Jesus is, it's going to transform our lives. It's going to be the key to opening up contentment in our hearts and our lives. If we're not willing to wrestle with our thoughts, if we're not willing to allow the Lord to bring our thoughts into subjection and into captivity, we're not going to experience the contentment that the Lord has designed. Part of the armor of God is the helmet of salvation. Helmets protect the Roman soldiers. Paul, no doubt, looking at a Roman soldier, says we have a helmet that God has given to us and it's salvation. What can trump all of our thoughts is I'm saved. I'm the child of God. This world's not my home. I'm going home to be with the Lord. So choose to enter into that space, that mental battle of meditating upon the Lord. A good place to do that is meditating upon the scriptures, to memorize the scriptures, to write the word down, to underline it, to plant it in your heart so that we can have the scriptures be alive in our hearts and our minds. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So now the church of Philippi is taking opportunity to care for Paul as Paul is in prison. And Paul says, I know that you did care, but you just didn't have an opportunity to show that care. And this is a good reminder that pastors and leaders and Christian authors and teachers, they need care too. Paul's a part of the body of Christ. And as he's in prison, there's some basic needs, some physical needs. He needs prayer. He needs encouragement. And we're so thankful as a pastoral team, the way that you encourage us as as pastors. And we're thankful for that. We need that. In verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Point number two is contentment must be learned. Contentment must be learned. And Paul says, I'm not bringing these needs before you because I'm trying to get something from you because I have learned this very important lesson of contentment. Whatever state I'm in, I've chosen, I've learned to be content. We understand that contentment is not something that we're born with. We're born with a sinful nature 
that's always craving and longing for more. This is considered the toddler's constitution. This is a toddler's worldview. For your parents, I think I can get an amen. A toddler would say, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. (laughs) If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically belongs to me. If it's broken, it's yours. (laughs) If it's broken, but you're having fun playing with the pieces, it's mine again. Is there any doubt it's mine? We see that even in young kids, toddlers, that this deep sinful nature where I'm not content. I wasn't born with contentment and I want it. And if you have it, it, it's going to belong to me. I remember on my eighth birthday, turned eight years old and my aunt and uncle Dave and Carolyn came over to the house. And they were more like grandparents to me. They were quite a bit older than, than my mom, my aunt on my mom's side. They wrapped up a shoebox with all of these cut up pieces of newspaper. And inside the newspaper were dollar bills. So I'm going through all the newspaper. One, two, three, four, and I come to eight dollars. And I pouted, put my head down, and I said, is that all? (laughs) I wasn't thankful for the eight bucks. I thought that there should have been a bigger gift that was given to me, and I got sent to my room, and it was kind of a bummer birthday. Uh, my, My son Wyatt, when he was young, about 18 months old, 24 months old, he would sit next to me at the table in his high chair, and we would have the same exact food for dinner on his plate and my plate. But he always wanted to eat the food off of my plate instead of enjoying the food on his plate. And honestly, that's a lot of the way that we live our lives. Somebody else can have the blessing that's sitting right in front of us, but we don't see it right in front of us, and we want what's on their plate. We want the job that they have. We want the family that that they have. We want the yard that they have. As everyone's grass is greening up, have you looked across the street, green with envy at your neighbor's lawn? Oh, just to have that lawn. So Paul gives us a deep insight here that we have to learn the lesson of contentment. Have you learned this lesson? Have you learned it? And Paul goes into some specifics here. In verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Number three, contentment is two-sided. If you think of a coin, heads and tails, on one side of contentment, we have blessing to abound. On the other side of contentment, we have to be abased, to suffer loss. And Paul says in this discussion of contentment, that he has learned how to live in both seasons and circumstances. And our life goes through many of these ups and downs where we abound. It's a season of blessing. And then we have times where we're abased. 
And it takes an education from Christ to be able to navigate both well. Because when we're going through a season where we're being blessed and we're abounding, in our sinful nature, we often say, I just need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. Donald Trump years ago was asked, when will you have enough money? And his response was, just a little bit more. If you get a raise of 2%, do you wonder why it wasn't 4%? So it's difficult as we're being blessed to say, this is enough. I don't need anything more. So we get blessed, but we want a little bit more. We get blessed, we want a little bit more, and we're never satisfied. Over the last two years, I've been working on this old Chevy truck, 1978 K10, and it's been a lot of fun, but if I'm not careful, as soon as I get one thing done on the truck, I want to do the next thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing, and I can easily not be satisfied going, okay, there's more to do. There's, there's more to do. I notice a, a lot of times in this car world of restoring older vehicles is people don't ever drive them. They don't ever use them. They get them so nice that the vehicle then becomes a garage queen and they don't even know how to enjoy that blessing that the Lord has provided for them. They've worked so hard on it, invested so much money on it, it's like, I don't dare drive it. So have you learned to abound? When God blesses you, one, to say, that's enough. I don't need anything more. But then also to truly be thankful for the blessing. Do you know that it honors God when you receive blessing and give glory to him? James 1, 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So we want to enjoy the blessings that he gives. We want to enjoy the food that he gives to us. We want to enjoy the friends and and the family and the opportunity to to go to work and go for a walk. And there's all these amazing blessings that God has given to us. Solomon in Ecclesiastes exhorts us to enjoy the blessings that God has given. How many blessings have come our way and we have been discontent and we haven't enjoyed it to the fullest to the glory of God. Maybe in the midst of all of the frustration with the coronavirus, you've forgotten how many blessings the Lord has given to you. The forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, physical provision, meeting our needs and, and caring for us. And Paul says, I know how to be abound. I know how to, to be full and to be thankful and not to be in a place where we're longing for more. But also, he says, I've learned how to be abased and to be hungry. He knows how to be full and be thankful unto the Lord, but he's also okay in a place where he is hungry. Paul's not exaggerating. Paul, at times, went without food for the cause of Christ. Paul was homeless and beaten and imprisoned. How many times in prison did he not get adequate food or any food at all? Paul was stoned to the point of death where they thought he was was dead. He says, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with being abased. I'm okay with loss. The word abased means to be humbled or made low. Who enjoys being humbled or made low? Who enjoys suffering loss? How could Paul find contentment 
in suffering loss because he knows that God's going to use that suffering to cause him to know Jesus in a greater way. Paul prayed to fellowship with Christ and his suffering, to share in common the, the suffering of Christ. He desired to know Jesus in a greater way, and he knew that this was going to come through hard times. Paul believed what he wrote and believed what he taught, that it's through difficulty and trial and affliction that perseverance and character and hope is born in our lives. Paul trusted that this affliction that he was experiencing in his life was working for him for eternal weight and glory. That God has purpose in in suffering. But notice, be reminded, Paul said he had to learn this. This is something that he learned, whatever state that he was in, that he would be content. And it's difficult to learn, and it was a process in Paul's life And the blanks that we don't see in the midst of this verse are the restless, sleepless nights that Paul had, the questions that he wrestled with, the valleys that that he walked through. It's going to be a process in my life and a process in your life. I've been wrestling with these things myself. I know that the book of Philippians, God is speaking to me as I've suffered loss and some health challenges just here recently, to to trust the Lord in those things and say, God, I'm content. I'm content in the suffering that you're allowing in my life. And that can be a roller coaster, and there's ups and downs in, in that process. Where are you in that process? Is there loss that's happening that hurts? Is there loss in health and loss in relationship and loss in finances? Is Are you grieving losses that are taking place with graduations and weddings and and funerals. Those are real losses. Did you have plans this summer that you were excited about, some anniversary trip that you were gonna take or single folks, you had a trip planned with your friends or you were gonna go on a missions trip and you're grieving that loss to be able to say, Lord, I trust you in the midst of this and I've learned contentment. But here's the challenge. Church, please hear me on this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, please hear me on this. If we don't learn contentment in our current situation, we will never be content. We will never be content. If we've been blessed and we've got to have more blessing, then we have not learned how to be full and abound. If we've suffered loss and we've lost contentment in the midst of of that journey, guys, as a church family, The narrative in which we're declaring to the community, if it's one that we're angry and we're frustrated and we can't wait until we gather together, well, we've missed the heart of God and we're not going to be content when we all gather back together if we don't choose to be content in our current circumstance. God wants us to be content even of what we're going through as a church family. As much as I long for and look forward to and am praying for the time where we can all gather back together, that does not stop the reality that right now in your living room, in your family room, watching this live stream, God wants you to be content. If you're in a place where you're saying, I can't be content until we come together and we worship and I have everything that I'm used to having, then we're throwing the truth of God in his face. 
The reality of this is God saying, yeah, I know there's suffering. Yeah, I know there's difficulty. Yeah, I know you can't gather in the way that you're used to, but we can choose contentment. We can choose to be content right now with what we're going through in our challenges, in our difficulties. If something relationally, you're going, this just has to change, then I'll be content. Well, if you're single and you're saying, I've got to be married to be content, nope, you learn contentment and singleness and you'll be content in marriage. For some of you that are married that are saying, wow, I just would long to be single. No, you wouldn't be content when you're single. You need to be content right where you're at. If we're not content in the job that God has provided, then we're not going to be content in the next job that he provides as well. And I know that that's a hard challenge. Got to be content right where you're at if we're going to be content and however the circumstances change in the future. Here's the key verse, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment, number four, is possible through Christ. Is possible through Christ. Paul says, as difficult as this lesson of contentment is, the way that I can live in contentment is through Christ. Now, this is a tremendous promise. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But remember, the context is contentment. What Paul is referring to is I can be content. And oftentimes we use this verse out of context in a way that has nothing to do with contentment. But here we are pressing through a difficult situation and we can declare as tough as this circumstance is, Christ is with me and he's enough and he can strengthen me to where I can be content. Hebrews 13 verse five says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, check it out, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus declared to us that he's the bread of life, implying that he is what satisfies our soul. He alone can satisfy our soul. Jesus declared that he is living water. Only Christ can satisfy that longing deep inside of us. And through him, it's possible. Through him, he can come in and strengthen us even in the most difficult of circumstances to where we can be content. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Change in circumstance isn't going to satisfy, but a deeper relationship with Jesus is going to satisfy. Drawing near to him, trusting in his love, trusting in his unconditional sacrifice for us. The reality of his his presence. To hold on to that and rejoice. Say, I know that I know the promises of God. I know that I know the person of Jesus Christ. And for us, it's getting our eyes off our circumstances. It's getting off our eyes off our losses, getting our eyes off of our blessings and choosing to say, my source of satisfaction is Christ. He is the one. He is the one who satisfies my soul and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is gonna strengthen me to be able to live a life 
of contentment. We think of Solomon in the Old Testament. We referred to him in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he had everything from the world's perspective. He had power, he had prestige, he had knowledge and wisdom. He had women over a thousand wives, but yet he was empty because he was seeking satisfaction outside of his relationship with God. No degree can satisfy your longing heart. No human relationship can satisfy that void inside of you. No vacation, no adventure. The only thing that can satisfy is Christ. And he is enough. So look to him. Enjoy him as the bread of life. Take him up on his offer. Say, Jesus, would you strengthen me? I have the weakness, but would you give me the strength so that I can be content in my current situation, in my current difficulty? Paul shares in Romans 7, the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do. But the things that he doesn't want to do, he does do. And then he shared that what his struggle was, was covetousness, for longing for what God had not provided. So this was a real struggle for him, and he had to learn this lesson of contentment. Let's continue on in verse 14. Nevertheless, you've done well that you've shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So Paul's saying, thank you for the gift. Thank you for supporting me when I was first a a missionary. Thank you for caring for me as I've been in in prison. And I want to say thank you to the RMC family as you guys have been praying with me this last month as I received a month ago the diagnosis that I'm type 1 diabetic, the genetic form. And you guys have been praying for me and praying for our family, and I really appreciate that, and it's humbling. Verse 16, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. Paul's saying, I wasn't seeking the gift, but I do know what takes place in your heart and your life. There's fruit that happens in your life as you give. As parents, we see this in the lives of our kids as they learn to serve and bless others and give to others. It brings fruit in their lives. In the same way, Paul's saying, as you're, you're giving, it's going to bring fruit in your life. In verse 18, it says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full having received from Epaphroditus the things that you've sent for me, a sweet smell, a sweet-smelling aroma, and an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. Picture Paul's in prison. And here, Epaphroditus brings this care basket, maybe a blanket, maybe a stick of salami, maybe some tea, just some things that Paul would need, maybe some of Paul's favorite books, some scrolls for him to read. And Paul says, when I received this, it was a sweet-smelling aroma, both to me and to God. It blessed Paul, and it blessed the Lord. And this takes us back to the Old Testament and the sacrifices that were made. God says that they were a sweet aroma. And when we love one another and care for one another's needs inside of the body of Christ, it is a sweet aroma to, to the Lord. It's a sweet aroma to the person that is receiving it. In verse 19, and it says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. 
God is going to provide. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. God is good at being able to provide for our needs. Understand that verse 19 is in context to a giving church. As this church is giving and pouring out, God's going to be faithful to meet their needs. Look at Malachi chapter 3. There's a calling there that God places upon us to honor him with the first fruits of our finances, with our tithes and our offerings. And as we do that, then the Lord is, is faithful, not meaning that there isn't difficulty financially. It's not some kind of name it and claim it, that the more you give, the more you're going to receive. But look it up for yourself in Malachi chapter 3, as God is saying, trust me with your finances. Allow me to have the first fruits and tithes and offerings and give that first 10% to the Lord and I will be faithful to be able to meet your needs. I believe that the Bible teaches us to put our tithe and offering unto him as he leads us first, not, not last. My wife and I were early in our marriage. We were seven months into our marriage and God allowed us to buy our, our first home. A small house, fixer-upper. I was youth pastor at the time. And it was tight, to say the least, of, of paying that mortgage every month and getting our bills uh, covered. We had agreed when we first got married to make tithe the first fruits and to give that to the Lord first. But the finances were so tight, I just decided, you know, I'm going to stop tithing. And of course, I didn't tell Amber. I didn't tell Amber that I'd stopped tithing. And this went on for several months and it was crazy. It just seemed like things would not work financially. We would tighten up and tighten up and not spend money, but it was like the money was uh, disappearing. I was feeling convicted of the Holy Spirit. I knew that we needed to get back. I needed to get back to this commitment and shared with Amber, took a hard swallow, and she's like, what? You know, we need to get back to tithing. We need to do that first. And as we put tithing first, the Lord supernaturally met our need. The, this, the Lord would provide in, in supernatural ways. Uh, you know, one time on a Christmas Eve, someone left their, their Bible here at the church, and I was on the, the e-phone call, and they, they called me. They were from out of town, and I said, yeah, let me go up to the church, and sure enough, their, their Bible was in Lost and Found, and then got them their Bible back, and they, they just wanted to bless uh, Amber and I. And it was like, what? And they blessed us uh, financially. And just so many ways where the Lord just took care of us, but the Lord was calling us to trust him with our finances and to put giving first and not put giving at, at the bottom. Psalms thirty-seven twenty-five. it says, I've been young and now I'm old. Can you relate? David says, I'm... I'm old now, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. God's always faithful. God will provide for our needs according to his riches and glory. He's not bankrupt. In verse 20, now to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God receives all the glory as he graciously provides for us. Greet every saint in Christ, the brethren who are with me, greet you. I'd encourage you, continue to be the church. Continue to greet one another. We can be in fellowship together in groups of 10. Take full advantage of that. As restrictions, Lord willing, start to open up, take advantage of that. Don't, don't live in fear. Be in fellowship. Greet one another. Take advantage of calling one another and, and texting one another. Greet one another in these live services. Be the digital greeter. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of the household 
of Caesar, Caesar's household. This is amazing. Paul, as he's in prison, is impacting the Roman guards who are impacting even those who are inside of Caesar's household. There are believers in some of the darkest places. Caesar's household was a dark place spiritually, but there were believers. And even in places that we wouldn't expect, there's believers who are being a a bright light. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. A great ending point. Grace is the beginning point, the ending point, and every point in between. God's riches at Christ's expense, his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. And may God pour out his grace afresh in your life. What have you learned from this book? And have you learned the lesson of contentment? Take a moment and think about what has God shown me in the book of Philippians that I really need to hold on to. A short book. You can go back and read it. It's four chapters. Read it this evening. And I would encourage you to underline some of the truths that the Lord has shared with you. To really walk in joy. To put Jesus first, then others, and then yourself. Then this issue and this truth of contentment. Maybe you've been in a place where you're blessed, but you're longing for more blessing. Learn how to be full. Learn how to be full. Thank the Lord for the blessings that he has given to you. Maybe you're in a season of loss. Focus on Christ. Trust him. Trust that he's got a purpose in the, in the loss and the pain and the, the difficulty. And choose contentment. Learn contentment. Realize that Christ is the source of contentment. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So let your lifestyle be without covetousness. We want to pray with you. If you're in a place where you're saying, I'm wrestling with contentment, I need prayer. Right now, would you respond? We have pastors and a ministry team that's available. If you'd like to share the specifics, we would love to pray with you and pray for you. Also, if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, if, if you want to repent of your sin and turn to Christ, say, Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. He loves you. You found this live stream and you're looking for something, you're longing for something, you're wondering if Christ is real, and he is real. He died on the cross for you. He rose again. He wants to be in a personal relationship with you. The way that that happens is to turn from sin, to believe that he's God, that he died for you and rose again. Invite him to be the Lord of your life. If you'd like to make that decision to trust Christ for salvation, would you let us know? Go to the chats, go to the comments. I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior. And then we would like to minister to you directly. We will reach out to you and lead you in a prayer for you to receive Christ as your Savior. Church, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. You gotta fight for that. I've gotta fight for that. In the midst of these crazy times, focus on the love of God. Focus on Christ and him crucified, the gospel that he died for our sins and rose again, that he is with us. This is a time as believers where it's very important what our narrative is going to be. What's the story? What's the testimony of Rocky Mountain Calvary going to be? What's the narrative of my life going to be? And is it going to be one of frustration or is it going to be one of gratefulness for who Christ is? The example of Paul who's in prison 
who's got his eyes upon Christ. So let's focus our eyes upon Christ this, this evening and choose contentment. Even as a church, in our, the circumstance that we're in, let's choose contentment. So pray with me. Father, we admit that we cannot be content in and of ourselves. We need you, Jesus. Jesus, you are the source of our contentment. And as a church family, we choose in faith contentment. Jesus, our gatherings together is not the source of our contentment. You alone are the source of our contentment. And though our circumstance is difficult, you're great and you're greater than our circumstance. So God, would you help us? Would you pour out your spirit upon us? Lord, you know my weakness, you know our weakness. And would you be strong in spite of our weakness? Would you strengthen us so that we can be content? Holy Spirit, do a work in our lives even as we sing this last song together. In Jesus' name, 